Hey friends, Catlaw Hagquist here with a reminder that locally owned and artist operated bizbooks.net is still your best source for plays, acting books, scene books, teacher resources, and much, much more. And as you, like we, are clearly fans of Sabrina and YVR Screen Scene, we want to offer you 15% off your next purchase with the coupon code SCREENSCENE23. So come check us out at bizbooks.net. Sign up for our newsletter and follow us on social to learn what's new. And if you're in the Vancouver area, watch out for one of our pop-up shops throughout the year to come say hello and shop in person. Remember, Screen Scene 23 promo code is only available at bizbooks.net for a limited time. This episode was sponsored in part by listeners like you. Join our Patreon community and receive early access to episodes, bonus content, stickers, buttons, and more. Visit www.patreon.com slash podcast. Welcome to the YVR Screen Scene Podcast, where we pull back the curtain and expose the beating heart of the Vancouver film and television industry, namely the actors and filmmakers and other talented artists who do the work. Capital T, capital W. I'm Sabrina Ronnie Firminger, and today... Today, I am so excited to welcome Sonita Henry to the YVR Screen Scene Podcast. I'm excited because Sonita is an exciting actress with some killer credits in her filmography. I originally spoke with Sonita back in 2015. Yeah, 2015. Can't believe it. For an article in The West Ender. And I stand by the lead I wrote for that article. Sonita Henry's credit list would make for a must-see TV marathon on the Space Channel. Thank you, 2015 Sabrina, for that killer lead. Sonita played the president's aide in The Fifth Element, present in that iconic final scene where Lilu and Corbin get it on in the regeneration chamber. She was the doctor who delivers James T. Kirk in the heart-stopping opening minutes of 2009 Star Trek, big-eyed doctor. She portrayed a colonel who's transformed into a Dalek in the 2013 Doctor Who Christmas special. And she was the archetype of every female villainess when she played the really bad mom Medea in the Vancouver shot Olympus, where her co-stars included friend of the podcast, John Emmett Tracy, and BFF of the podcast host, Amanda Tapping. Sonita's credit list also includes a wealth of nuanced performances in some of the best dang British television in recent memory, including Luther, Father Brown, Midsummer Murders, and my personal favorite, The Chelsea Detective. Canadians have to search a little bit to find The Chelsea Detective. Apparently it's on Roku, but I rented it on Apple. But it is worth the search. The series is a top-drawer British crime drama set in London's posh Chelsea neighborhood, where bodies have a way of showing up, and things are rarely what they seem. Sunita is Priya Shamsi, a brilliant investigator whose experience with new motherhood in that first episode is so relatable that it hurts. I love what I've seen of this series, and I was so excited... Yes, there's that word again, when Sunita reached out to tell me that she was going to be in Vancouver and would I like to meet up because I want to talk about Priya and the Chelsea detective and all the rest of it with her. Ethnic ambiguity, genre, motherhood, 
crime. Okay, enough excitement, enough anticipation. Let's leap into the excitement and get to know the wildly talented thespian behind the detective, Dalek, big-eyed Starfleet doctor, and ancient bad mum. Sunita Henry, welcome to the YVR Screen Scene Podcast. (laughs) Thanks for having me. That was that was an introduction. It it was it was an uh, can introduction. You, can you send that to my mom, please? <laughs> <laughs> I I will happily. But that's you. It's all true. Yeah, I I guess. Yeah, yeah. yeah it is. How do you describe yourself? Oh, oh! I always describe myself as a twelve-year-old Italian boy. <clears throat> that's pretty much it. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I'm I'm sorry. That wasn't that wasn't at <laughs> it all. It was a much in shorter the... <laughs> introduction. Sweet Henry, twelve-year-old Italian boy. Yeah. This is a conversation a few years in the in the making, though. Yeah. We we were originally going to meet in 2019. Then my husband got kidney failure. Listeners of the podcast know because I overshare on this podcast. And then in 2022, and then that couldn't happen. And yet here we are today. So we have a lot of ground we do. to cover. Um, and I think we should begin with some time travel. Now, usually I give my guests the option of what kind of time travel vessel we get into. Mm-hmm. But not only are you from England, but... You were Colonel Meme. <laughs> I was Colonel Meme. Yes. So we're, we are getting into the TARDIS. And I want to go back to, how old is your child? Do you mind me asking? Mm, she's six. Okay, so that's a great age. Yeah. So let, let's get in the TARDIS. And you punch in those coordinates, do all the things that the TARDIS does. Mm-hmm. And we're going to go back and meet Sonita at six years old. Mm. Where are we going? What kind of a kid were you? What what were the driving passions in your life? Oh, my goodness. Um, I was in England, in Dover, of all places, oh, okay. for my sins. Um, <laughs> six-year-old Sunita. Well, I was a middle child. Uh, so, I mean, there's a lot of trauma in that, right? Yeah. We could unpack it, but we won't. It's okay. <laughs> Calm down, listeners. It's fine. Um, Got to push it down. So yeah, that that good fine. old br- no, British I'm, resilience. I'm fine. Uh, yeah. So I was the, I was the very quiet, very bookish six-year-old. Just didn't want. I knew how to read before I went to school. My mom taught me. Oh. Which is a bit weird. Um, so I was obsessed with reading, which I have passed on to my child, thankfully. And I was just in my room reading by myself. And what, what were you reading? Oh my goodness. Um, Beezus and Ramona. Um, we, we had a lot of carry on reading books, which I think is a set of books that we have in England for a certain age group. And I'm sorry, the, isn't Carry On like a, a series of films that are very <laughs> saucy and spicy? Yes, we also have those. But so are these ch- children's <laughs> these books are not, that are... <laughs> these are not children's versions. Carry On Doctor for six-year-olds. No, we don't have those. Uh, I'm glad I asked for clarification because yeah. I'm like, wow, she that does have a, a lot weird. to unpack I mean, in you, therapy. I mean, it's England. Anything could happen, right? Absolutely. Um, yeah, so, you know, playing with my brother and my sister and trying to be invisible. That was who I was as a kid. It's, an, it's interesting because I've heard that a bit on the podcast. You know, the I mean, I've, I've heard a lot of uh, also their kids who are like grabbing all their siblings and neighborhood kids together and being mm. like, let's put on a show. But then there are also kids who end up, you know, who are like, yeah, like we're the quiet ones. We were hiding. And yet. So how does a kid like that go on to be an actor hmm. to stand in front of people where you're not invisible. Mm. Yeah. I wanted to get out of Dover 
so badly mm. that um, I agreed to model. I I had come to America for vacation to see family, and I had a couple of um, modeling agencies approach me as I was walking around. I think I was probably fourteen. Yeah, and uh, so I I got into that and realized that I actually don't like having my picture taken, hmm. which I feel is a prerequisite for a modeling career. I mean, I've never modeled, but I, hmm. I, I would assume. You would assume, yeah, yeah. yeah. So that ended pretty quickly, uh, but my, my pictures were sent to uh, Luc Besson, well, actually Lucinda Sison, who was the casting director for The Fifth Element. And then I met up with Luke and, and, and got the fifth element. Um, How old were you then? When I booked it, I was 18. You're a little baby. I was a little baby. You're I mean, at the time, I thought film. I was an absolute grown-ass adult, yeah. of course. But looking back, I'm like, I was a child in that movie. Um, but I realized very quickly that my my face could get me out of Dover. Huh. And that I, I don't want that to sound any way in egotistical, but I, I wasn't hugely academic even though I went to a very good school um my mom was pushing me to be a journalist which I was for a little while yeah um but I knew that's that's not what I wanted to do so all I wanted to do was get the hell out of small town England and that was the way to do it and unlock the world for you yeah it really did yeah um but I was very comfortable I'd studied media studies in college, and so we made lots of little videos and stuff, and I realized I was extremely comfortable on a video camera. Hmm. So acting wasn't a huge leap for me. It was like, oh, I can I can do this on a moving camera. I just, I just don't like to do it on a still camera. Yeah. Yeah, so that was a lot of fun. And also, because I know it sounds so trite and cliche, because you're playing someone else, it, I think as a child that wanted to be invisible, it's very easy to mm. fall into being an actor because you're just playing someone else. Yeah. Now you sh- you show up on no, we're, and we're talking about your your first time on set, your first experience, that first job mm. be, beyond the modeling was not a, a little independent film in somebody's no. house, right? It was a big, big, huge film with big stars mm-hmm. and and. And it was your first time there. Like, what kind of, you know, what did you learn? What mistakes did you make? You know, and, and the fact is you did stay in the industry, right? So, did yeah. you, like, what did you find there? Um, I, I, I didn't know the hours were so long. Hmm. We shot at Pinewood Studios, which is mind-blowing for, a, at the time we shot it, I was, I just turned 19. So, and because I'd studied film, it was it was an absolute pleasure to be there. Yeah. So I was just looking at it from a, like a film student perspective, not realizing that I was learning from amazing people that have been in the industry for a really long time. Brian James um, took me under his wing and he, he literally had to explain, this is a mark, this is how you hit it, this is where the camera's gonna be, this is, you know, like the most basic set etiquette that I didn't go to drama school. I didn't have any of that, so I didn't. I didn't know that. So I learned on the two weeks that I was in the Fifth Element. I pretty much learned how to be an actor wow. on set, not how to be an actor to act, just how to be on set. Yeah. So I learned how to be on set before I learned how to be an actor. I did everything ass backwards. Yeah, sorry, and that's I mean that's us because we're in the TARDIS. We're doing some weird time traveling. I'm trying to make sense of your. 
There is no sense. Yeah, there's no sense. So I should just, uh, I should just, just go, give just up this endeavor. <laughs> just, just go on this journey with me. That is does not make any sense. Well, I'm glad because I feel in a lot of ways that I have been on this journey with you, just mm. as somebody who enjoys your enjoys your work. So, you, so you've used the phrase "ass backwards" to mm. describe your journey. So, you learn how to be an actor on set, or learn mm -hmm. how to be on set mm -hmm. while on set. Mm -hmm. But when did you learn to be an actor? <laughs> I have not. Okay. Because um, you're a 12 year old Italian I'm boy. I'm a 12 year old Italian okay. boy. I still have time. I still have time. Um, okay. So I did the movie while I was studying film and media studies. Went away to Pinewood, did the movie. That was great. Thanks so much. Went back and finished my degree. Mm. Still thinking I was going to be a journalist. Yeah. My mum still hopes I'm going to be a journalist. And then I moved to New York. Oh. Which is where my mum's family live. Okay. And I got offered a job at Fox News. They were going, the, the, the look, the, the look I just got. Wow. I didn't know, but I didn't glare. I was no, just, you were it just was, it was I was like, what? not comprehending. Well, we'll just say because, you know, I've seen, they, they do these um, collages featuring all of the different, you know, um, their, what their anchors look like, mm. you know, and they'll be like, you know, 90 of their different anchors. You, I don't look like one of them. You don't look like one no. of them. Yeah. Yeah. So, so <laughs> no, I do not. Must have been a different era for, <laughs> for well, Fox I, News. I think, I don't know what was happening, but I feel like it was like a training program that they were going to try and train me to be an anchor, but obviously I, I didn't go with that. So um, I think it was a, through a friend of a friend. So I got offered the job at Fox News and I remember walking down Fifth Avenue and being like, that's not what I want to do. Hmm. I had a lot of fun on that film. I could possibly do that as a job. Of course, my mom's family all immigrants you know that's not what you do as a job you were either a doctor a lawyer a nurse a teacher that's a normal job engineer Actors. accountant exactly yes. exactly <laughs> pharmacist you know yeah and I was like no 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 I think I really like the acting thing so I went and enrolled at HB studio which is Uta Hagen's oh. acting school in New York because I was like if I'm gonna do it I'm gonna do it. And yeah. Lucinda Sison, I was still in touch with Lucinda Sison at the time, and she's like, you need to go to acting school and you need to learn the craft. And um, that's the only way to do this. There's no shortcuts in this in this industry. So yeah, so I went to HB Studio and studied there. And at the time in New York, it was all theater or soap operas. I was gonna say soap operas, yeah. right? Because they're used to film so many there. So many. Yeah. And of course, again, going back to how we look there was no one in soap operas that looked like this yeah so that wasn't gonna work and I'm not a theater actor so I very quickly realized I had to go to Los Angeles yeah so I packed I took a 45 minute driving lesson took a four minute test rented a car and drove from New York to Los Angeles I'm sorry what <laughs> what was that trip like for you were you by yourself? No, no, no. I was with my, um, at the time, my boyfriend. And so you just drove across I just drove. Had you done the drive across America no. before? No, I'd never driven before. Not even on the other side of the road? No. Nope. And then you drive across the, okay. Well, I thought, okay, it's, ba it's, bapt <laughs> it's baptism by fire, right? Absolutely it is. So and by, the, you, by you the time I get to LA, 
I'm going to know how the car works. So yeah. it's all good. Yeah. How the car works. <laughs> I, I'm impressed they gave you a license and also kind of horrified about it's that. It's New York but you're, State. Yeah. <laughs> a 40, I'm not kidding you, a 45-minute lesson. Wow. And the test was four minutes. And that experience, though, because, you know, it's not it's not like England where you can drive across the whole country, like, in very short order, right? Mm-hmm. You know, America, you need a few days to, yeah. to do that. That experience and you're driving to L.A., I mean, that sounds like a movie in and of itself, mm-hmm. right? What was that experience like? What did you see? What did you learn on that trip? I mean, it was amazing just to get to know. I only knew New York, I knew it well. Which almost isn't like the rest of America. America. It's not America. It's New York. And New York City, like upstate New York is more America. But New York City is like a bit of Europe has just broken off and kind of floated towards the United States. Yes. So uh, we drove south. We did the southern route. So had to go to places like Alabama, Arkansas, Texas. What? Yeah. I didn't get out of the car. (laughs) <laughs> in yeah. certain places because it was after 9-11 as well oh so I got some looks um but we went to Graceland which was amazing and we saw the Grand Canyon also amazing went yeah. to Vegas realized great never have to do that again um and then arrived in LA can I say do you enjoy acting I I love yeah I love acting so, because yeah. we haven't talked about enjoyment yet, mm-hmm. it was more like a ticket to this and an opportunity yeah. for that. When did you, when did you realize? When did you realize that you were in love with the craft? I think, I think I realized very early on that I loved doing it, but I also loved watching it. Mm. I love going to the theater and watching actors on stage. I wouldn't necessarily do that, but I. I love watching them, um, but I love being on set. So it was a case of once I started working more and just being around that, that's when I fell in love with it. Because mm. before then you're doing a bit here and a bit there and you're just kind of brought in for the day. Yeah. So I always loved it. But then I think when I did the Chelsea, uh, Chelsea Detective, that's when I really fell in love with it because I was on set every day. I had a lot to carry on my shoulders and I was fine with it. Mm. In fact, I I welcomed even more pressure. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? You were ready. Yeah. No, by, by the time I, I had done, what, 20 something years worth of yeah. work experience <laughs> <laughs> to get me ready for the Chelsea detective. And, yeah. you know, in the back of your mind, you're like, I don't know if I can carry a show. I don't know if I can carry a show. And then I got on set and I was like, no, I'm good. I've paid my dues. Yeah. I know what I'm doing. I absolutely can do this. Yeah. I'm going to put a pin in Priya and the Chelsea Detective mm-hmm. right now yep. because I do, because we are jumping all over the timeline oh, right yeah, now. Sorry. I want to go back to, to you know, the, your your early years in LA and some of the lessons, you know, that, that you learned, you know, about yourself, about people who look like us, who are, mm-hmm. you know, mixed ethnicity mixed heritage and you'll find I'm, I'm stumbling over the words a bit because I'm kind of doing some work right, right now in myself I don't call myself half this and half that anymore I say I am Indian and Ukrainian like it's about the and so I, I still like it's I, that's where I am in my journey and I know everybody who is you know mixed heritage has that as well but the industry doesn't always know and hasn't always known what to do with people who who look like look mm. like us right so um what 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 were those those early experiences in la like 
Um, you put you just put your elbows on the table and lean like, forward I'm, a bit. Yeah, I'm like, okay, let's dig in. Um, yeah. I have a lot to say about that, but it could get me into trouble. Um, what I did find out in LA was that I have a really good work ethic hmm. because I wasn't getting acting work. So I spent my days dog walking yeah, and my evenings and nights tending bar. So I would sleep about five hours a night um, because I was adamant I didn't want roommates. Mm. No, I respect that. <laughs> so I worked, <laughs> I worked as much as I possibly could to have my own space and just, yeah. And it was the first time really that I was living by myself. So I, I really loved that. Um, but as far as acting goes, I was picking up tiny bits here and there, but it was, and I had a short, it's like a short pixie cut at the time, which looks great on camera, mm. but America can still be a bit backwards when it comes to women and short hair. When I did book stuff, it was like, oh, well, and especially because I think even though I had an American accent, maybe because of my British background, I carried myself differently or my cadence, the way I spoke was different because I've always had this voice since I was like 14 years old. Yeah. Um, and so they would always be like, oh, well, you're very educated. So you've got to be a lawyer or you've got to be a doctor. So I spent the beginning of my career just playing doctors and lawyers. Yeah. Um, but not really progressing very far in my career because all the lead females ha were white. Yeah. Let's just put it out there. They were. And so I was able to play, you know, the Indian doctor that comes in or the Middle Eastern, because they never know what I am, the Middle Eastern lawyer yeah. that comes in or the, you know, biracial black girl that does, you know what I mean? It was like little bits here and there, but never a decent meaty role. Yeah. But something changed in the about 2006 where suddenly commercially they wanted ethnic ambiguity uh there are those words those are those <laughs> words so for commercials they were like because they found if they could get someone because you know they have the american market and the latin market mm. and they realized if they could get one actress that could appeal to both white enough for the american market but brown enough for the Central American market, yeah. then they could just use one actress and it mm. would cost less. So then I would walk into the room and they'd go, her, wh whatever she, that's whatever she is. We just want that chick. How did that impact your relationship with your own identity? I think for the first time in a long time, I, um, I was really grateful <laughs> and very happy to be whatever anyone wanted me, me to be, basically. Yeah. You know, growing up in England, it was always, well, where are you from? But where are you from? But where are you from? And it's like, well, I'm English. No, but where are you from? And I didn't realize how much the, the undercurrent of racism had affected me as a child, because you're just so used to it. And even my mom would be like, oh, well, you're half cast. Ugh. Yeah. And growing up, that's what we would say, because that's what you're told to say by your adult, you know, the adults around you. So you just go, oh yeah, sure, I'm, I'm half cast. That's what I am. It's not till I was older that I was like, what the, you know? Yeah, you to can't make you say make that. you feel not just that you're othered, but that you actually, because of that, you don't really belong yeah. there. 
You're neither this, you're neither that. You don't actually belong anywhere. That's why I don't say half. I mean, that's one of the reasons I don't. It's also about having ownership to my my ancestors and giving my daughter, who is now four different things, you know, know, that like, no, you get to call yourself all of these things because your family is your family is Mm -hmm. your family and no one can take that away from you. But like all of the stuff that's been in the society, including the entertainment industry, how they tell stories, you know, who they tell stories for can make you feel, you know, that you are less than. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I would go meet with agents and they'd go, well, what are you? I'm like, well, I'm I'm mixed. No, but what are you? It's like, I, I, I don't know what to tell you. I'm, I'm mixed. Could not wrap their head around it. And then would say things like, you're going to be a really hard sell. Ugh. It's like, okay, fine. So then commercially, because suddenly I was working, I was like, this is fucking great. Yeah. You know, I'm going to make money out of this. I'm absolutely happy to make money out yeah. the fact that you people are stupid. So I did. Yeah. Um, and then moved away, moved back to England. So I did about 25 commercials in five years. Oh, like, wow. It was a lot. Yeah. Um, and then moved back to England. And for the few years that I was in England, the industry suddenly changed. Hmm. And it went, and I hate to use this word, but it went diverse. Yeah. And so when I went back to LA, it was like, where were you? Because when I needed for the 14 years I was in England and I couldn't get arrested. Yeah. And now suddenly everyone's clambering over you because, oh, you can be this. Oh, you could be this and you could be this. It's like, I've been telling you that for years, but you weren't listening because I didn't fit into a tiny, tiny box that you needed me to fit into. You're not black enough, you're not white enough, you're not Indian enough, you're not Asian enough, you're not this enough. Mm. Never enough. And so suddenly now my not enoughness is enough for them. Yeah. And it's like, okay. Have you ever been able to embody a character that is actually representative of who you actually are in the parlance of the kids, IRL. <laughs> Which is in real life to all the old heads like me yeah, out there. Yeah. <laughs> the character that, I, we, the show I've just wrapped on, I think, to me, is probably the closest to who I am. Yeah. And what does that feel like? Uh, when I got the when I got the breakdown to audition for it, it was a, a, an intense feeling of, I have to book this. Yeah. I have to book this. And if I do not get this, I will find the actor that did book it and I will kneecap them because I have to play this part. (laughs) Wow. Right? Yeah. Because even Priya Shamsi came along and I was like, they're not going to cast me. Like I hadn't played a lead in a show. So I was like, ah, they're they're just not going to cast me. And, you know, they want half this and half this and I'm not really that. And they're just going to go, oh, we've got to be really sensitive to 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 people right now and we can't cast people that aren't of exactly that ethnic origin yeah so but i was I mean i was very grateful for priya shamsi when it came along but um but black cake which is the show i just wrapped on that i knew i absolutely had to play yeah because i completely understood where mabel my character was coming from I mean, I wasn't adopted. I didn't grow up white, but I've been able to walk through this world as a white woman. Mm. Right? Yeah. Because no one's ever known what my ethnicity is. So most people go, oh, you're Italian? You're Spanish? Are you Portuguese or Egyptian? Yeah. Argentinian? You know, (laughs) they they go through the whole gamut. 
And Mabel's character has always, always been told that she's Italian. She's like, okay, fine. And then she finds out that she is not. Mm. Um, and then how she, how she has to live with that and yeah. how she has to come to terms with that which I obviously didn't have to come to terms with that because I know my mom is West Indian and I know my dad was white. You know, it's like... Yeah, yeah. Um, now, is there... Why does this character exist then? Like, was there is there also diversity in the writer's room as, as well? Because I, I know that it's... Or is it like a casting choice? Like, what is... I guess I, I feel kind of silly because I don't really know what's going on. Is this an English show? No. So, okay. So this show is called Black Cake. Yeah. It's based on a book by Charmaine Wilkerson. Okay. It was on Oprah's book club, Barack's top 10 books last year, um, Michelle Obama's top 10 books. So- Oh my God, all the best book lists and I- All the best, and you've <laughs> never I heard of it? I know, I know. Um, so my boss is Oprah. She's producing it. She's executive producing it. Wow. And we just finished filming. It started filming, I think in June or July in Jamaica and came to Wales. We shot in Wales and London and Italy, and then we just finished filming in Los Angeles. Wow. Yeah, it's it's an epic across multi-generations. Oh, amazing. It set, starts in Jamaica, comes to England, then the character goes to America, and she, it's, it's, it's a very, I really need to come up with a way of explaining black cake in a very short way but there isn't a way to do it. Yeah. But our life, I mean, when we actually sit down and look at our our ancestors' journeys and, you know, all the things that need to happen in order for us to be here, happen in our in history and in our families, like there aren't short answers mm. for that. That that is that's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so it's about West Indians and English people and and the mixing and racism and all kinds of stuff all the all the good stuff okay okay and the writer's room is predominantly black and female those periods where this industry has like not seen you or broken your heart maybe in some way or like what has kept you what has kept you in the in the business what has kept you from walking away i think sheer pig-headedness yeah yeah i respect that yeah yeah. <laughs> now, is is this an industry that you would recommend to your child? My child would love to be in this industry. Yeah. Um, but she, you know, she just thinks this is a normal job. Mummy goes to work. My, my, my mummy's an actor. Yeah. That's just like, oh, my mummy's a nurse. My mummy's a this. Oh, my mummy's an actor. Yeah. That's completely normal to her. And of course, she'll, if she wanted to go into this industry, she will be in such a better position than I was just solely through my network of people. I didn't know anyone in this industry when I decided to do it. Yeah. And also in the late nineties, like when England wasn't making anything. Now I feel like the industry in England is prolific with, oh, yeah. with Netflix and Apple TV and all those guys coming over. Um, but I feel like my daughter's a bit too sensitive. Yeah. Right. Rejection yeah. is, that's part and parcel of what we do. Yeah. Um, and I think you have to have, you have to have a really thick skin, but you can't make, you can't let it make you hard. That sounds so hard. <laughs> that sounds so hard to do. Yeah. 
Yeah. And you will become jaded. Yeah. I feel like I became so jaded when I wasn't working. Um, but kind of had some strong words with myself and try not to do that anymore. That's good. Yeah. That's that's good that you were able to have that conversation. I for one am grateful because I love I love your work. I'm glad you've you've stayed in it. Now, you did mention you've been in the industry for for 20 plus years at this point and mm -hmm. you know I mean I even mentioned your very first role in the in the intro and then different characters that you've played you know along the way specifically in the genre the sci-fi fantasy sphere like what is your what is your relationship with with sci-fi and fantasy and do you have like you know what are your feelings about because like I I mean look at this room like I am <laughs> I'm obsessed with this this stuff I'm a big fan but I also know that it can be challenging um when people are like kind of like only associate you with that one role and that mm. thing that they love you know that was like 20 years ago and you're not that person anymore mm. you know like what, what's your relationship with that stuff you know what i was all ready to embrace a uh, a career in sci-fi yeah i was ready for it i was like let's do this i'm you know i looked at amanda tapping's career i was like that's it that's the career i'll have yeah. Because sci-fi, I feel, was the first genre to really embrace people of all ethnicities. Yeah, They were basically like, oh, in the future, everyone's just going to be mixed. It's like, yeah, yeah they probably will be. Mm -hmm. So let's, let's cast people from every ethnic background we can. Yeah. And also, let's cast really strong women. And I hate to use the term strong women, but that's what they were doing, right? Yeah. I mean, Amanda Tapping, for instance, made yeah. a career out of being a really strong woman. Yeah. And we weren't really seeing that in drama. We weren't really seeing that in comedy. Um, so I was all prepared to be like, okay, I'm going to be a sci-fi actress. That's it. That's that's my trajectory. I'm going to go with this, the fifth element, all that kind of stuff. And then Star Wars, Star Trek, sorry. Didn't get Star Wars, wanted it so badly. Yeah. And the world that they had created, um, there were so many spin-offs for, for Star Wars that I was like, there's got to be one where I can play. I, I have to be in one of them. Never got cast. And I don't know if it's because I was in Star Trek. Someone oh. mentioned that to me. Like, you can't be in Star Trek and Star Wars. And I don't, you would know that better than I do. But I'm not sure. Also, because I did Whoa. DC, I don't know if I can be in Marvel because I did Krypton. Oh. I know, there's all these know. rules, man. I don't know. I think we're breaking. I mean, now is the time they're breaking all the rules. Well, then right? I should be the one that breaks. You know, it. you absolutely, sh you absolutely should because you have somebody, you know, James Gunn, who has moved, you know, from Marvel over to DC and stuff, right? right? So I need to speak to James. Yeah, that's what it is. Yeah, you, so, yeah. you need to. So yeah, I was all ready for it, and then I, you know, Dead Dead Space Two, Dead Space Three, the video game world. Oh yeah, and then Doctor Who, and then Krypton. I was like, okay, so that's my life is sci-fi and. That's a world I feel very comfortable in. Yeah. Going to conventions, meeting sci-fi fans, like that's one of my favorite things to do. Oh, it is, okay. Yes, yes it is. Yeah. Um, they're a very um, loving group of people. Yeah. Um, but suddenly everything kind of went off and I've just, I fell into Chelsea Detective and now Black Cake and hopefully I can continue with sci-fi. I love it so much. I mean, honestly, I, I mean, I love you in sci-fi as well, but I love you in Chelsea Detectives. So let's talk about that for okay. a bit. Cause I love, I mean, I love, I've, I 
been telling everybody to to find the show, to watch the show. I know it's a little more challenging to find in Canada, um, but it's uh, it's just delicious. And like especially that fir- the first episode, uh, there's a lot that I recognize of my my own. Like I am not a brilliant detective, but I am a woman who did not t- who gave birth to a baby and was like I I this is not natural for me you know I I was scared of my child yeah I was scared of fucking her you can swear on the spot you scared of fucking her up you know and I'm like it's so rare that we get to see that on screen mm-hmm. told in because it's almost like we're scared to like acknowledge it but it's so natural and it absolutely happens so you know tell me about what was your you, you get the sides you get the first script whatever mm-hmm. however your journey began and what was your initial response to the material and to Priya that's what I was I was excited about yeah was there was this woman that had her shit together except at home yeah. she was really good at her job she knew what to do in her job yeah and then she had this tiny person at home that she had no clue what to do. And I think my daughter was three at the time mm. when I auditioned for it. And I I still remembered who that woman was because that, like you said, I think that's actually every woman. Yeah. If they really, really sat with it and didn't worry about what society thought of them, if they were completely honest, I think most women would turn around and go, I have no fucking clue what I'm doing. Yeah. Um, and the same and for me, it was be? like, it did not come. It wasn't like I gave birth and then I knew how to be a mother, no. you know, or like they talk about maternal instincts, protective, sure, but all the other stuff, I put the first diaper on backwards for fuck's sake. And my husband was the one who like, it came like natural for him, yeah. you know, and I it wasn't for me. And then we had all these issues, you know, where I was like, I fucking suck at this. Mm. I'm crying all the time. You know, he would have to come and like the baby's getting that energy and I can't like calm her down and then he comes in and the baby sleeps. I'm like, why? Mm. I just fucking suck at this. So, oh God, then you start questioning anything. I yeah, mean, and, there's no, yeah. and there wasn't a Priya that I could look at on screen and be like, oh, okay, this no, is actually normal. Because we're supposed to, women are supposed to just have it together. You have a baby and that's it. You know exactly what you're doing. Like I'd never put a diaper on. I'd never <laughs> been around babies. Me neither. I, I had no clue. I was left in the hospital. I had to put a diaper on. I figured it out, but I had no fucking clue what I was yeah. doing. My husband had to go home and... You know, I ended up having PTSD from a horrific birth. He had postnatal depression. It was Ugh. it was a bad con- like. Thank God I had never had postnatal depression. Yeah. I was just dealing with the trauma aspect of it. He was dealing with the postnatal depression. So it was it was a mess. Yeah. So then this character comes along, and I'm like, I know who this woman is. <laughs> yeah. I don't know how to be a detective, but I know who she is. Um, so I think I really. Um, connected with her in the audition yeah and they did say to me that there was i think i had to do four scenes and one of them everything else was like detective 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 yeah. and then there's one scene where i'm holding the baby and i say i i don't know what i'm doing yeah oh that scene yes right and that was my audition scene and in i'm just sobbing in the tape yeah because i didn't realize that was going to happen either like we're recording it and my husband's standing they're like oh my god i don't know what to do i don't know what to do <laughs> But that was a scene that we sent in, and, the, and I remember the executive producer, Peter Fincham, and the producer, Ella Kelly, were like, that was it. Yeah. That was the scene. That That's Anyone amazing. can be a detective, detective, detective. Yeah. But the connection that they needed this woman to have with not feeling good enough needed to translate onto the screen. 
Yeah. And that's what happened. Now tell me about Adrian Scarborough. Tell me about him as a as a scene partner. He's you know Adrian's a, a funny he's a funny guy. He uh I always when I cuz I had never met him before. We um we auditioned via Zoom. Oh, I mean, I know that that that's just the the world now, but chemistry read. How do you do a chemistry Zoom. read over Zoom? Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> thankfully, it worked. Yeah, clearly, because <laughs> everyone was like, "The chemistry is great. The chemistry is great." Uh, we met for an hour. We had a cup of coffee. Walked along the Thames, and and then next thing, we're on set and we're filming. Wow. Um, Adrian Scarborough has funny bones. <laughs> I, I in, feel like f- some follow-up questions are required. He, just how you said that. He's just in. He's just. He's a funny person. Yeah. Right. So whatever he does, he's just funny. It's not like he's. He's. he's he does a lot of comedy. Yeah. But it's because he is inherently funny. He's just a funny person. Yeah. Um. But he's also can be completely heartbreaking. Yeah. It's this, devastating. The scene where he's talking about his father. <laughs> right. Cry, yeah. Yeah. That was a natural reaction. That was not an actor having yeah. to go, I better look sad in this part. Yeah. Um, that was me listening to Adrian Scarborough and just having a natural reaction, which was me crying. Yeah. And I think I think funny people get to do that. Yeah. I think maybe to be funny, you need to understand heartbreak. Yeah. You know, as well. Yeah. I don't know. I'm not an actor. I'm just, I'm just no. It's true. I'm like, just assuming. Like the saddest people are usually clowns. Right? Yeah. What That's they say. What they well, say. I mean, Robin Williams is a perfect example. Exactly. of that as well. Um, but yeah, he's just a very giving scene partner. This was the first time he had led a show, hmm. which was astounding to me. Yeah. Um, he's had such a long career, uh, but it was the first time he had led a show. First time I'd led a show. So we just kind of went, okay, we can do this. Yeah. We can do it. Yeah. So yeah. we kind of buoyed each other up. It was good. Oh, I love that word. You said buoyed? Yeah. Bu- I have, whenever it comes up on the show, I do try to say it. Buoy, buoy. <laughs> I don't know. I can't say it. I can't say it, but I love it. That experience then of, you know, being being co-number ones on, leading the show. Um, what what have you learned from that? And how is it how is it different, you know, from when you come in on a recurring or, or a guest role? Um what was it Adrian said and I've taken it from him he said that you know we're usually SAS actors they fly us in hmm. we, right? <laughs> we come in we do our scenes we leave yeah um, and that had been my career up to that point same as him this was the time they flew us in and they left us yeah <laughs> <laughs> you're on your own chaps we're going out um, I I became a much stronger actor but I became a much stronger person Hmm. Um, I didn't realize it was going to change the way I viewed myself and how I felt about myself yeah and not from an acting standpoint just as a personal standpoint yeah so it it changed a lot I don't want to get into huge big life changes but yeah it changed um it changed how I viewed myself. It, it changed how I viewed my industry. It changed how I viewed being on set. Yeah, I'm very much a person that comes to set and just wants everyone to be happy. And what can I do to make you happy? And it was the first time that I was like, actually, I need this mm. to get my job done. 
I'm all about helping you get your job done, but I need this to get my job done because at the end of the day, if I don't do my job correctly, the whole show will fall to pieces. Yeah. So yeah, I think I got a bit of um, agency. Ooh, that's that's amazing. Yeah. I, I love hearing about people coming into their power. Yeah, you know as well. And it's not about power tripping or having control or or anything. It's it, it really it's it is about like just realizing what is within you and mm. then what you're capable of. Oh, but it's I like it's like your or superhero origin story. It, it was, <laughs> I did it did feel that way, and I and also I think because I was coming out of the fog of my daughter mm. and dealing with that, and also coming into my forties and dealing with that, mm. leading a show and dealing with that. So literally, it literally was a case of one day I woke up and went, yeah, I don't, I don't give a fuck anymore. Oh, I love it. I literally remember waking up thinking that. Yeah. And stepping into who I was meant to be. Yeah. I, I don't, I was actually, so you mentioned your 40s. I think for, especially because of the way that aging has been presented in, in uh, pop culture for a long time, and also how women have been, you know, even the language around aging, the war on aging, fighting, age, whatever. Mm. Um, leading up to 30, or leading up to 40, I was like, I was kind of like, oh, not looking forward to it. But turning 40, I did, I felt like I was coming into, coming into my power. Mm -hmm. I even started using around that time the hashtag, um, hashtag 40AF, so 40 as fuck, mm -hmm. you know, and, and just finding some, and it's not even that I, I care, like I don't give a shit, I don't give a fuck about things that don't matter. If I care about something, like I only care about stuff that matters. I'm not going to sweat that kind of stuff anymore. And I know that I have the benefit of being a podcaster behind a mic, not an actor. I can imag only imagine how much more challenging it is to feel that way in an industry that puts a camera in your face all the time, you know, and is and very, very rarely centers, especially in America. I think that England does a better job at this. I mean, maybe, maybe correct me if I'm wrong, mm -hmm. you know, but, you know, they, in America, they center a lot of younger, you know, younger, whiter kind of stories, you know? Um, so it's really empowering for me to hear you and, and I don't know, satisfying for me to hear you talk like that, oh, good. you know, as well. Well, yeah. I remember, I remember growing up and women in their forties would be like, you just wait, you wait to get into your forties yeah. and then you'll understand. And I remember going, yeah, all right, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you're just saying that because you're old now and you just want you know to feel better about yourself yeah and, okay and then i got into my 40s and i went oh oh okay this is okay i get it now yeah. i get it now yeah yeah but to go to that point you just made england is very good about having older actresses in lead roles yeah older white actresses in lead roles Oh, they're there, there, yeah. And yeah, I can give yeah. you mm -hmm. the, the usual five names, but I won't again. Don't want to get into trouble. But um, it's the same five white middle-aged actresses hmm. that they use in every single show. Uh, Sarah Lancashire, Saran Jones. <laughs> <laughs> Coleman. I do I do love like I'm not gonna say names I will then, say yeah. them say them say them Anna Maxwell Martin um, can I just say like because and this this is I think about this a lot and I know that speaking out about things can be really scary but if you're not getting the opportunities and if people like like us if marginalized people aren't getting the opportunities anyway in a white supremacist kind of system mm. then 
like they're not worried about offending us, mm. you know? I think it's like, and I've been thinking about this because I've been doing a lot of work in our local industry, you know, about people who are part of trying to dismantle the white supremacist system. You know, here, even naming it that, there's a lot of power in naming it that as well, you know? So I don't know, I'm all for, for you know, uh, cage rattling, you know, yeah. and to be like, you know what, like, I, okay, we need to, you need to sit in, you, white supremacist system need to sit in discomfort a little bit because yeah. it isn't cool. No, it isn't cool. <laughs> but it's funny because the second you said white supremacist, I literally was like, Jesus, someone's going to come into the room. We're talking about white supremacists. You know what yeah. I mean? Like it was, it, it's it's a powerful thing to Those say. Words, Those and words. I, yeah, yeah, they are. We hear so much about patriarchy, patriarchy that, that I feel that's come that's kind of been watered down now. Yeah. But when you say white supremacist, it's like, oh, your arms went in, in front I, of you. I kind of got, yeah. yeah like, and it's oh, not shit. even like, it's not even like accusatory because like I think, and that's kind of some of the work that we've done on this podcast is to talk about that a white supremacist system. It's not like, oh, but the people making decisions are are racist. I mean, you can have people who, who look like us part of the white supremacist mm -hmm. system. It's because that's where, that's who built the system. Yeah. You know, even you were talking about the soaps back in, you know, in the, 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 the New York soaps for so long didn't have any people, you know, of color at all, because no. that's what that's what built the system. Mm -hmm. So we're so part of like that's so if that's the system, that's where it comes from. What we, where we are now was built on that, mm -hmm. you know, so dismantling stuff, changing stuff. You know, I think it's I think it's good. You, you use the words. You you take explore the what they mean, and you take the power of them. Mm. Being like that, we don't want that anymore. You know, we want we want a system that is. I think it's it's an exciting time. It's potentially exciting time. You know, like the yeah. the, the people that our our kids are watching on screen now, the diverse stories. You know, that are being written by diverse people. You know, it's it's such an exciting time. Like they get to grow up with that in their face. I think it's and just it's going to be completely normal to yeah them. like the fact I used to I walked onto the the truck the hair and makeup truck for black cake and they have all of the actors headshots all the way along yeah and it was the first time I walked onto a truck and stopped and my breath was taken away because there was there was a, probably 30 headshots mm. maybe three or four of them were white yeah it was all black and brown. Yeah. That has never happened. And that's more representative of what the world actually looks yeah. like. That's so, ex it's exciting. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Um, staying on Chelsea Detective for a mm -hmm. bit, because I'm a fan, I have some questions for you about okay. that specific. I wanted to hear, well, what are some of the things like, like behind the scene things about crime procedurals? You know, especially British crime procedurals, which people in North America love because mm -hmm. they're so different. I mean, you've done American ones too. Like, they're so different. Um, you know, get, take us behind the scenes about some of your, like, maybe some like tricks of the trade or behind the scenes secrets or behind the scenes secrets. I don't know if we really have any behind the scenes secrets that make it different to a, an American procedural, except maybe the people aren't as pretty. <laughs> <laughs> Right, American procedurals, it's all hair and makeup and looking gorgeous and the perfect lighting and everything right. has that yellow, that golden. That Instagram filter kind of look. Yes. Yeah. Whereas I feel like English procedural dramas are like gritty. Yeah. Gray, depressing. Everyone's, I love it. Everyone's kind of got a limp, <laughs> you know, bit of a sneer. Um, what have been some of your, your favorite days on set, on the set of 
the Chelsea detective. I loved working with Sophie Stone. Yeah. Yeah, she was amazing. Actually, I remember when I read the script for Chelsea Detective and um, the forensic expert was deaf. Oh, yeah. And in my head, I went, you know who'd be great? Sophie Stone. Yeah. The next thing I hear, Sophie Stone's been cast in this. I'm like, excellent. Yeah. Um, So working with her was great. Just Adrian and I would laugh a lot. Yeah. He's just, again, he's a funny person. So we would have to run into a scene and he would just give a look and I'm like, if you look, if you look at me a certain way, I am going to lose, I'm going to lose my shit. The crew, I think, would get a bit annoyed. There's certain times they had me look at a, a graffiti painting of the chicken. <laughs> right? yeah. And I literally had to look at it and go, that's an impressive cock. You cannot, you cannot say that. <laughs> First of all, you shouldn't be saying that anyway because you know your actor's going to lose it. Yeah. But you can't say that in front of Adrian Scarborough and expect to get one take that I'm not laughing in. How many? Oh, I, 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 don't, even, I, don't, even know how, I don't even know how many. But to the point where the crew were just like, okay, fine. Yeah, we we'll can't even fix this in post. We'll do it again. Yeah. So the one take they used, I am, my lip starts twitching. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that's not like, I think that, I mean, it works. Yeah, it totally, it totally works. Um, and what would have been some of your favorite locations? Brompton Cemetery yeah. was my favorite. I didn't even know it was there. And you drive up Kings Road. It's, you know, super London trafficy coffee shops, boutiques. And then you go off into a side through a side gate and suddenly the whole of Brompton Cemetery opens up hmm. and they have um, suffragettes buried there. And it's just an amazing place. It was beautiful and calm and a lot of fun to shoot in. Um, Cheney Walk, just on the river. Oh, yeah. Gorgeous. These are places I hadn't been. I'd yeah. never, I never, I wouldn't go to Chelsea to hang out in London. Um, driving was an absolute nightmare. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I hate driving in England. Anyway, I'd never driven in London, ever. I don't think, I mean, you know, I have family there. We've never drive in Why in London. You? Yeah, you take, you take, we take the train yeah. from the south and then we just tube or, you yeah. know, they hate when I take a cab. I'm like, because sometimes I'm like, I like a black cab. Like, there's uh, nothing the like most it. expensive. Yeah, <laughs> the most expensive. Second mortgage to go down the road. Yeah. We have um, to do it. You have to do it you at have least to do once. It. Yeah, but drive. So you actually drove. Yeah, I had to yeah. stunt drive an SUV. You I, did that. I did that. And I, oh, I only drive minis. <laughs> only drive minis. <laughs> and then they hand me an SUV. Yeah. I'm on the wrong side of the road in the wrong side of the car in London. I'm sorry, but you're the person who did a 45 minute test and and then drove across America. That should have been a piece of cake for you. Okay, there's a big difference between (laughs) 20s Sunita and 40s Sunita. (laughs) Suddenly I'm like, I have a child at home. If I die, I'm fucked. (laughs) Yeah. What would you have rather done though? Drive the car or ride on a bicycle? Oh, drive a car. Yeah. 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 And Adrian was like, I'm so glad you're driving. Yeah. And I'm like, hey, you got to ride a fucking bike, mate. Yeah. <laughs> love how you said that. What, what does your family think of the work that you do and this specific work? I, I mean, it was this specific project because, I mean, it's, it's pretty big fucking deal. Yeah. I, you know, it's the first time I think my mom and her family have sat down and watched 
my stuff yeah and loved it and only talked about adrian <laughs> so progress yeah that's yeah. that's progress well my mom is obsessed with redheads oh yeah my father was a redhead she mm-hmm. has a thing for gingers so adrian scarborough white and a redhead she's like he's so sweet oh adrian's so funny he's so lovely okay but did you like my performance yeah it was fine <laughs> has she has she had the opportunity to meet him no she should, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, you got to get those, got to get those points with the parents somehow. Yeah, yeah I know. <laughs> what is a Sonita Henry role? Like, what needs to be present in a character to get you to borrow one of my favorite words? You know, to to get you really excited. You know, one of the roles that got me really excited was Medea. Oh yeah. Mm. Okay. Yeah. Now we're getting into it. <laughs> yeah. The bad mum from ancient Greece. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. When I met Nick Willing, the creator um, in LA, every time, every question he would ask me, I would look off into space, just look off and then come back to him and give my answer. And he's like, oh, you're Medea. Mm. Every answer you're giving is measured. Every answer you're giving, you've thought about before you tell me. And he's like, that's something Medea would do. Yeah. I was like, okay, then I get who this woman is. Everything's hidden. Yeah. Right? So all the roles that I love, there's always something hidden. Yeah. Some kind of some kind of nuance. Um, did you like this woman? Medea? Yeah. I mean, I could tell that you enjoyed her. I fucking love yeah. her. <laughs> What happens, like, is, you know, she makes some, like, interesting choices. She, okay, she makes, some, no, she makes some questionable life choices. <laughs> but I feel like, have we all not made questionable life choices? Not those choices. Okay, she took it to an extreme. But, you know, she's an extreme woman. Did you see her wigs? <laughs> Beautiful. <laughs> right. Beautiful wigs. I mean, yeah. that was a stunning hair. Yeah. Um. Okay. No, I love that one. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and that was where you met um, uh, people that we're actually going to be meeting for lunch, yeah. you know, in a bit. John Emmett Tracy uh, and also Amanda mm-hmm. Tapping, um, who directed on on Olympus. Um, your experience of filming in filming in Vancouver. I mean, I know you've you've worked all over the world. How how did we do? Was it okay? I loved it. Yeah, I loved it. I was here for a summer, and um, was it one of those good weather summers it was or a, a rainy beautiful- summer? Beautiful beautiful weather summer okay good good, good. um i rented a little place in yale town because my friend's like you have to stay in yale town i was like okay i'd never been to vancouver before it was like the most new york area i guess exactly yeah Yeah, it was great i walked everywhere especially coming from i was living in la at the time so coming from la and i didn't need a car you can walk anywhere in la great (laughs) so yeah that was lovely and the the weather was great and i met some amazing people who i'm still in contact with john emmett tracy and amanda tapping the problem with Amanda Tapping is because I was used to seeing her face, mm-hmm. this woman had never met me before. I knew who, what she looked like. Yeah. So I got on set and she came over to introduce herself and I immediately wanted to like grasp hold of her and, you know, lick her face. And yeah. I didn't, I stopped myself. So Probably I was just like, hi, good. nice to meet you. Yeah. <laughs> nice to meet you. And then I would ply her with Maltesers. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I feel that's why we're still friends. Yeah, I mean that is that is the way to her heart. Yes, it is. Yeah, yeah, I figured yeah. that out. Pretty so quickly. where, so where did you? Was it Stargate that you get got to know Amanda? Like her just, work there, or Sanctuary, or just like on all, all just the, everything. everything. If you can't talk about being a woman in the sci-fi world without 
knowing who Amanda Tapping is. You yeah. Know? So yeah, and then getting to know John, and John sends the nicest, most gorgeous gifts for my daughter, and yeah, yeah, and I got to know his wife and his kids, and it's just they're just great. Yeah, John and Matracy was kind of a revelation to me, and I think it's I, I have learned. I mean, even talking to you today, the people who play villains are often you know just the the sweetest, the most genuine, nicest kindest people and he's right up there he's right up there. you know and i maybe it's because um you guys have a, have had an outlet for, for like for those baser you know instincts like because like john has played like he killed a cat in one show mm-hmm. he's played some really mean people yeah <laughs> he's so nice well i i maybe he's acting Wait, do you think that is like the longest con of all? Yep, he's he's. This is a long game. John Emmett Tracy is on, playing the long game, and one day he's just gonna lose his shit. Yeah, <laughs> wow. And I kind of want to be there. Yeah, I kind of. I kind of want to be there to uh, to see that that happen. Is there is there like a type of role or a character type or an archetype that that you won't do anymore? That you might have done earlier in your career, but you're, now you're like me, like for whatever reason. I just feel like you're you're bog standard freaking lawyer or doctor. If I never have to play those again, I'll be yeah. very happy. Now, if it's a lawyer that, you know, killed a bunch of people, fine. A doctor that killed a bunch of people, fine. <laughs> Can I just say, actors, actors have weird jobs and say the weirdest things that, you know, any other profession, if they were to say, would be like... No, <laughs> yeah. but, you know, but for, uh, but yeah. 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 Okay. Um, is there a type of role that, or an archetype or a genre that you haven't played in yet or haven't played yet that you, that you yearn to play? I would love to do comedy. Yeah. You're funny. Thanks. Oh, Thanks. yeah. Yeah. I never get to do it. I get to do little bits. Like I did a show called Breeders with Martin Freeman. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I never get the... Everyone just goes, oh, no, Sunita's dark. Mm. <laughs> she's dark and mysterious. Yeah, you're, you're inscrutable. Yes. Yeah. So <laughs> that's what she's going to play. And it's like, well, actually, you know, I did start out doing stand-up in New York. I kind of like would like to do a bit of, stand- you know, comedy. You started out doing stand-up? Yeah, my friend and I did stand-up in New York. What? I know. I guess, and that was early on in your career, right? That was that was really when I first moved to New York. So, so like ninety eight. You were still kind of in that phase too, where you had like you're so close to the Sonita that had wanted to be invisible. Mm. You know, stand up comedy. I mean, I guess even with fi- with film, there's the camera between you and the audience. Mm. You know, stand up. You're like you're there and you're feeding on their energy. What the hell? What the hell? Well, okay, Sabrina. Sabrina <laughs> I did not say that I enjoyed it. Oh, okay. I just said I did it. <laughs> There's a difference. Yeah, and what kind of like what what were what was your act like? Well, it was me playing something called rent a model, and uh, it was literally I was a robotic model, and my friend would it, it was very it was weird, but um, I love it. My my friend used to do stand up, and I used to have to go to all of her shows. You have to support your friends. You have to pay the ten dollars to drink minimum. Blah blah blah. We were all broke at the time. Yeah, and I got I'm in the audience. I got heckled by a stand up comedian. And she wasn't a very nice woman. So I um, I heckled her back. And the guy that owned the club was like, did you want to come up on stage? So we ended up coming up on stage. Oh. Yeah. 
You're very brave. Thanks. Yeah. Or stupid. I find that throughout my life, there's been a very fine line between bravery and stupidity, and I, I kind of straddle both. Yeah, yeah. Um, oh, who's outside? Who do you see outside? <laughs> She's licking the window. Well, I would like to, uh, to invite Amanda Tapping to come on in. Can I say hi? Of course. Are you not only going to say hi? You're going to share a mic. We have uh, our our lunch companion Amanda Tapping, who we were literally just talking about. No, oh god. Amanda, what I'm going to ask you? Oh god. I'm oh, sorry. No. I'm sorry. But um, I know it's been a while since you 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 have seen each other. Um, can you, can you tell me about working with Sonita? You know, hell? what kind of, uh, you know, what qualities she brought to her work as Medea, what you remember from that time? Good luck. <laughs> <laughs> we, were, we were remembering the, the, lot, the beautiful wig and um, just how, how the delicious the role was. The role you know. was delicious and you were brilliant in it. It was, uh, yeah, I loved watching you on set. I never really directed you. I didn't feel like I ever... You were just there. You, you were, were present. Asleep. I was not asleep. I was petrified that <laughs> entire were, time. Right? Oh my god! Yeah, <laughs> uh, that was not my. F yeah, that was a rough one. But mm -hmm. uh, you were amazing, and that's why I'm so happy to see you. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. There's a gravitas that you bring, even though you're so delightfully funny. Thanks. Truly, it's really interesting I because as a human, you're like, what? We were just talking fun, about how lovely. Sunita wants to do more comedy, and you I'm like, she's so funny. You totally should. In comedy. I know it's ridiculous. I'm always a dark, mysterious lady. Yeah, mm. which you bring to it, but mm. and then offset as soon as you yell cuts, like. <laughs> do you do you remember um, Sunita feeding you uh, Maltesers? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they're my absolute favorite. Yeah. yeah, we bonded yeah. over Maltesers. Yeah, <laughs> we did. That has been the foundation for many strong friendships and collaborations. Has been Maltesers. It's Maltesers, I would think. Okay, okay. Well, thank you, Amanda Tapping. Thank you so much. Yeah. <laughs> so, Sunita, pull the mic back to you. All right, we're um, right here. I mean, I think that is a wonderful, a wonderful way to to kind of end our conversation today. You're but right, I, get out. You know, but I, I would like. Yeah, well, kind of. I mean, I'm kind of hungry now. We're gonna go have lunch, and so, so that. But I, I would, I'd like to end with um, more time travel. I mean, let's get all the get back in the TARDIS. You know, Amanda, you'd love to go in the TARDIS too. I mean, that's kind of kind of a dream. If we can go back in TARDIS, let's go to um, let's go to New York. Oh God, okay. Early early New York, and and you're just going to class. You know, um, it's before you get your driver's license. Mm -hmm. You know, to do your, your 45 minutes, and then you're driving across the state. But like, you can go back to to yourself at that time. And give yourself some words of wisdom, some advice. You know, what, what would you say? Or would you not say anything at all? I would say, um, don't fucking worry so much. Say yes to the things. Don't get married. And um, just have fucking fun with it. Don't be so serious. That's fucking great advice. <laughs> fucking great. You're fucking delightful. Oh, and, uh, you're fucking delightful. <laughs> fucking love you. All right. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure, Sunita Henry. Thanks. Where can our listeners find you, follow you, celebrate you on social media? Oh God. Oh, um, that's what everybody <laughs> says recently. Oh God. God. I don't even. I couldn't even tell you. That's uh, uh, Sunita. I, I think I'm Sunita Henry at Sunita Henry on Twitter. 
I'm on Selena Henry online on Twitter. Okay. Uh, okay. And also on Instagram. Okay. Same at Sunita Henry online. Okay. okay. And uh, and Canadians especially find the Chelsea Detective. You're gonna fucking you're gonna fucking love I'm it. I'm only in one season though, so yeah. but yeah, enjoy it. Yeah. It's bullshit, but it's it, no, it's fucking brilliant. It is fucking yeah, brilliant. Yeah, and you're delightful. All right. I only bring that out at the end. Okay. Listeners, thank you for joining us today. Please like, subscribe, leave us a review if you're so inclined. They help us find even more listeners and we can keep having conversations like the fucking brilliant one we had today. You can find us at yvrscreenscene.com, at yvrscreenscene, and at Sabrina Arf on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram and Mastodon. That's a thing. Wyvar Screen Scene Podcast is hosted and executive produced by me, Sabrina Ronnie Mara Firminger. And it's thank you. Wow, I get I get applause today. Okay, Amanda, just always be here sitting in that chair because I kind of love it. Um, and I'll bring mall teasers. Yeah. Um, special thanks to uh, Simon Firminger for editing this episode, taking out um, all those spicy bits that no one's going to get to hear. Uh, to Mariana Furminger for recording our Patreon ad, to Paul Furminger for technical support, and to Dane, not Furminger Davile, poor not Furminger Dane for the original music. But Dane, you know this, you're Furminger to me. <sighs> Wyvere Screen Scene is a division of Fish Flight Entertainment. Join us next time for another deep dive into Vancouver's dynamic film and television scene. Ready for lunch? Yes. Yeah, yes. okay. Fucking brilliant. And cut. Hi, friends. Cat Law Hayquist here, and I'm excited to introduce you to thedramaclass.com. Thedramaclass.com provides online workshops and classes designed to provide inspiration and instruction in the sometimes overlooked areas you need to be successful in your acting career. Things that they don't often cover in studio classes. Things like tax prep for actors, the power of costume and getting a job, what to do if you primarily work on camera and find yourself with a voiceover audition, what you can do to adjust your performance to the camera lenses being used, and so much more. Maximize your opportunities by filling in the gaps that will make your craft your career. Visit us at thedramaclass.com, sign up for our newsletter, follow us on social, and explore what will take you to the next level.